influence on these three lives. Welcome, listeners, to the 29th premium chapter of the QAnon Anonymous podcast, the Gary Webb versus the CIA episode. As always, we are your hosts, Jake Rokitansky, Julian Fields, and Travis View. Gary Webb is an investigative journalist who rocketed to national fame when, in 1996, he published a three-part article entitled Dark Alliance, the story behind the crack explosion. The piece was a 20,000-word expose that dug into the Iran-Contra scandal and its alleged connection to the 1980s crack cocaine epidemic that ravaged black working-class communities in California. Travis will kick off the episode by exploring how the publication of Dark Alliance led to a massive shitstorm in the media and, eventually, the untimely death of Gary Webb. This will be followed by Julian's segment covering the CIA's reaction to the allegations in Webb's piece, including a pile of recently released materials that have shed more light on the agency's retaliatory PR strategy. Gary Webb's Dark Alliance series with Travis View. Before Gary Webb published the reporting that would make him famous in 1996, he was already a seasoned investigative reporter. Webb's first major investigative work appeared in 1980 when the Cincinnati Post published The Coal Connection, a 17-part series. The series examined the murder of a coal company president with ties to organized crime and won him the National Investigative Reporters and Editors Award for reporting for a small newspaper. In 1983, he moved to the Cleveland Plain Dealer, and in 1988, he was hired by the San Jose Mercury News. He was part of the staff that helped the paper win a Pulitzer Prize for general news reporting in 1990. In 1996, he published the investigative report Dark Alliance. It would make him famous, cause his downfall, and remains one of the most controversial pieces of journalism in history. To understand Gary Webb's reporting, you first need to understand two different places that are 2,500 miles away from each other and don't have an obvious connection. The first place is Los Angeles, California, particularly the sections of Los Angeles that were flooded with crack cocaine in the 80s and 90s. And the second place is the Central American country of Nicaragua, which in the 80s was experiencing a civil conflict between its socialist government and the Contras, which was a collection of U.S.-backed rebel groups. Let's start with the Los Angeles crack epidemic. Americans have always loved Coke, but in the early 80s, a solid smokable form of the drug hit the streets of America, crack cocaine. It was cheap, simple to produce, ready to use, and highly profitable for dealers. In other words, it was a drug that was practically built to take root in densely populated, historically impoverished areas. An area like, say, the predominantly black South Central Los Angeles, which is now just called South Los Angeles. According to the 1999 article, Los Angeles Crips and Bloods, Past and Present by Julia Dunn, a dealer could make between $300 and $500 a day selling crack. If you're someone at that time who saw poverty and unemployment all around you, that might be quite an enticing opportunity. Jake's eyes are just kind of glimmering. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, he's going to become a crack dealer after that. I did. I smoked crack once. (laughs) Wait, what? It was an accident. Okay. Well, it happens. Um, so as crack use grew, then the uh, government started to crack down on crack users. And <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> All right. Leave it. Leave it. I love it. In 1986, the United States Congress passed the Anti-Drug Abuse Act, establishing for the first time mandatory minimum sentences triggered by specific quantities of cocaine. 
Congress also established much tougher sentences for crack cocaine offenses than for powder cocaine offenses. For example, distribution of just five grams of crack carried a minimum five-year federal prison sentence. But distribution of 500 grams of powdered cocaine, a hundred times the amount, carried the same five-year sentence. That is oh, so fucked up. So weird. I don't. Why would they? I don't that's, know why. Why would they do that? Weird. That is very curious. Yeah. Why would they do that? Seems so, kind of specific. Yeah. You know, of course, you know, they didn't say the real reason out loud. Yeah. They were like, uh, it's that black cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it might have had something to do with it. Yeah. They're like, listen, cocaine is like country music, and crack cocaine is like hip hop. <laughs> if you get my drift. So long story short, through a combination of racist legislation, aggressive policing, and addiction, crack cocaine damaged black communities in the 80s and 90s in Los Angeles and elsewhere. But the turmoil also led to the creation of the classic 1988 album Straight Outta Compton by N.W.A. So, you know, silver lining? No. It's not, it's no? Not, no. All right. It's not how silver or linings work. All right, fine. <laughs> or do even like, clouds. Do you like N.W.A., though? Not, not the point, again. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile... In Nicaragua, the Socialist Party... <laughs> Did you just do a comic book transition? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> meanwhile, meanwhile, in Nicaragua... Uh, the Sandinista National Liberation Front seized power in 1979. This was distressing to Ronald Reagan, who wished to contain the spread of Marxism in Latin America. So when Reagan assumed office in 1981, his administration began providing assistance to the anti-Sandinista group the Contras, or counter-revolutionaries. Uh, strictly speaking, the CIA did not create the Contras, but the United States did play a large role in financing, training, arming, and advising the Contras over a long period. And it, similarly to what they did with the Iraqi army, the, uh, the army that they made out of these little kind of Play-Doh people that they just pushed money against, didn't really, they weren't really that good at fighting because they didn't have any real idea yeah. <laughs> or like you know moral system that gave a shit about the outcome it was just like oh tons of gringos are here now just giving us a bunch of money to and better guns and uh yeah it turned out nope didn't hey we like shooting <laughs> yeah i guess i, I, I they didn't I, like the government and they liked shooting we like shooting <laughs> somebody's giving us guns <laughs> going to shoot these guns the government they we just, don't like they just go grab nicaraguan guys and they get, give them like a big uh, red mustache and a, a little pea shooter for each hand and they're like listen you got to stomp your feet up and down <laughs> and scream a lot and can you work on the steam coming out of your ears please the largest of these contra forces was the nicaraguan democratic force which was formed in 1981 so with that background in mind. Fucking gotta love. The guy, the Sandinistas come in. They overthrow a dictator. Everyone agrees. That yeah, was a dictator. Bad guy. Bad guy. Immediately, uh, Reagan's like, fuck this. Uh, we're going to send in armed people. What should we call them? The Democratic People's Force of uh, good stuff <laughs> yeah. that loves elections. Yeah, doing doing good stuff for people who aren't who aren't tyrants. <laughs> and um... <laughs> we're going to send, uh, send in the smiley boys. <laughs> Uh, los Contras. The smile is free. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The Dark Alliance series was uh, three in three parts. And on August 22nd, 1996, the first part was published. It was headlined, Cocaine Pipeline Finance Rebels. Evidence points to CIA knowing of high-volume drug network. Okay, no one said he was, you know, the best at prose, okay? It's really <laughs> more about content. Here's what the first sentence said. For the better part of a decade, 
a San Francisco Bay Area drug ring sold tons of cocaine to the Crips and Blood street gangs of Los Angeles and funneled millions in drug profits to an arm of the Contra guerrillas of Nicaragua run by the Central Intelligence Agency. Uh, the first article reported that the Army's financier sold drugs to a San Francisco crack dealer named Ricky Donald Ross, a.k.a. Freeway Rick Ross. Woo, Ricky Rope. What? Un unaware of his supplier's military and political connections, Freeway Rick turned the cocaine powder into crack and wholesaled it to gangs across the country. Court records show the cash was then used to buy equipment for the Nicaraguan Democratic Force. Mm. Mm. Webb's reporting zeroed in on two Nicaraguan Democratic Force leaders and drug dealers in particular, Oscar Danilo Blandon and Blandon's boss, Juan Norwen Meneses. Blandon was the drug ring's Southern California distributor and eventually became a witness for the U.S. Department of Justice for drug trafficking cases. However, before Blandon took the stand in San Diego, federal prosecutors obtained a court order preventing defense lawyers from delving into his ties to the CIA. Man, you got to love American law that just allows you to go to court and be like, uh, sir, we uh, move to exclude the crime. <laughs> right, right, Please right. do not bring up any of the crime right. in the uh, court. Oh, he's he's it turns out not guilty. <laughs> The article presented evidence that suggested that while Blondon and Meneses were running their drug ring, the CIA threw roadblocks in investigations into the criminal operation. Agents from four organizations, the DEA, U.S. Customs, the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department, and the California Bureau of Narcotic Enforcement complained that the investigations were hampered by the CIA or unnamed national security interests. In one case, the U.S. attorney in San Francisco gave 36 thousand dollars back to a Nicaraguan cocaine dealer arrested by the FBI after two Contra leaders sent letters to the court swearing that the drug dealer had been given the cash to buy weapons for guerrillas, which I don't understand why that's like an excuse. Be like, no, 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 no. This is this is this is not drug drug money. This is this is gun money. Yeah, this, this is this it's dirty gun money. It's, it's <laughs> not think, dirty yeah. drug money. Uh, no, this is for the guns, for the killing, not for the not for the you know getting people addicted to uh, crack cocaine. I, I like the uh, investigations being hampered by the CIA or a unnamed national security interest, which I just imagine is Nancy Reagan calling them yeah. and being like, uh, "Hello, yes, is this the DEA? Yes. So, okay, so this is your brain." And this is your brain if you look into the fucking Contra money. <laughs> <laughs> However, it appeared that the drug ring's luck ran out in 1986. On October 27, 1986, agents from the FBI, the IRS, local police, and the Los Angeles County Sheriff fanned out across Southern California and raided more than a dozen locations connected to Blandon's cocaine operation. You've been listening to a premium episode sample of the QAnon Anonymous podcast. We refuse to allow corporate advertisement on our show. The goal is to be completely self-sustainable. For a fiver a month, you can support the podcast and get access to a weekly premium episode, plus all the ones we've already recorded. So visit patreon.com slash QAnon Anonymous and subscribe for five bucks a month. Thank you, guys. We love you.